Welcome to the Velo News Podcast. We are back, we're back, we're back. It's the Velo News Podcast. Kaylee, do you know what time it is? It's time for an emergency Chris Froome is toast podcast. Uh, guys, we are in a car driving away from the Pyrenees right now. We just got done uh, writing about stage 12 of the Tour de France, which finished at Paragoud. It was a huge day, monster day, 212 kilometers. The Peloton climbed uh, three, four categorized climbs. So many categorized climbs that Six. I've lost count. Six. Yep. And in the waning meters of the climb, we saw our race leader, Chris Froome, get dropped by uh, his biggest rivals, Fabio Aru, Roma Bardet, uh, I believe Rigoberto Aran. Aran did drop him, yeah. Dropped him too. And we have taken it upon ourselves, we got to have an emergency pod because, you know, moments of weakness, of physical weakness with Chris Froome, they don't really come, a, come around too often. And uh, it's just, it's just, we got to talk about it. We, we got to talk about it. We got a bit of a, of, a, of a UCI jury polemica as well. Yeah, we have a real weird rule thing going on. <laughs> the new rule is that every single day at the Tour de France now, there needs to be some type of dopey controversy. <laughs> uh, and so we'll get to that one as well. Uh, but first, let's get into it, Kaylee. Um, that final... It was like 300 meters. It kicked up to 20%. Um, the leading group, these guys have been at the front for most of the day. Well, actually, for only the last climb, Chris Froome had his teammates on the on the front just crushing it. And as we came in, um, you know, Chris Froome kind of was able to accelerate, then kind of lost some ground. And by the end, it was big. It was 22 seconds, and he lost the yellow jersey to Fabio Aru. You know, when you went back and looked at the highlight of that sprint and the way Chris Froome was pedaling, like, what's your take? Like, what, what came to mind? Well, he didn't look good. And I think that was, that was the most important point, is that he really... We've seen so few chinks in the armor of Chris Froome across all of his tour wins across many years now that any time we see even a hint a, a tiny tiny little hint of weakness I think it's super important I, I think that a lot of his competitors particularly the ones that are now closest are they're in a somewhat new position for them um you know, Fabio Aru has never contested at this level at the Tour de France before. Got a, a, a whole bunch of young guys, guys like Yates. Uh, you know, those guys, I think that they were playing it relatively conservatively. And I think a big part of that was that Froome seemed pretty invincible. You know, I, I actually wrote in a story this afternoon on Velonews.com that, you know, the aura of invincibility, Froome's aura of invincibility, I think is, well, it's gone now. And now we are, we're, we're heading into tomorrow's stage which is this 101 kilometers to Foix you know we've been talking about this stage a lot we're kind of hoping for fireworks uh, I do think that we're more likely to get them now I think that's, that this is a really good thing for the race I think that the riders around Froome now that they've seen weakness are going to be very very keen to exploit it man I hope so because uh, I don't know about you but we were we were standing uh, a couple hundred meters from the finish line watching the last two climbs on a TV today. And I'm sure our sentiment was alike a lot of people's sentiments at home. 
Um, I was just like, man, when are they going to attack? You know, like Froome has uh, Mikkel Nieve and Mikalanda on the front of the group. And these guys are all just riding, uh, you know, in a slipstream like we've seen them do before. But nobody seemed willing to really attack. You know, Contador made that weird attack on the Parasword, which lasted. He got like 20 feet and then got caught. Um, and then George Bennett tried one, you know, uh, with a, a couple hundred meters to go. Kind of accidentally. Uh, so I, I spoke with George after the stage, uh, and he said a couple things. First of all, that the race is essentially full on from 70K to go. Like, he said it was absolutely ridiculously hard. We couldn't really tell on television. Uh, but from 70K out, which is still two, I think there actually three climbs to go, the guys were, were hauling. They were hauling ass. Uh, the second thing that he said was that he didn't really know about the wall at the top of the Paragood. Big oops. Big oops. Uh, you know, he came into this race trying to stage hunt. He didn't do all the recon that the other GC guys do. He doesn't necessarily know what's around the next corner all the time. And he had no idea when he attacked just after the, the red kite that he was about to hit a 20% wall. And yeah, it was a bit uh, bit of a tactical error from, from young Bennett. There. Oops. Well, so here's one of the things that I'm thinking about in uh, in terms of Froome's weaknesses is that, you know, he rode t- a very hard tempo for much of the day, right? You know, the uh, he had his team doing what they usually do, which is get on the front, ride a very hard tempo. So Froome must have been riding a hard tempo too. And when you ride a really hard tempo like that and then are forced to do an anaerobic effort, all power up some steep, god-awful climb like that you know there's no guarantee that your body is going to react the way you want it to and so there's part of me that wonders if Froome getting dropped was not necessarily oh due to sort of the catastrophic reasons that people get dropped sometimes in these grand tours where it's like just total depletion of energy or their legs are just completely fried but almost as if like the wall itself was the reason that Chris Froome dropped, which in my eyes would actually speak to him maybe uh, being able to recover from that and being okay for the rest of this race. Yeah, I mean, I, I the effort at the end of a stage like that is very, very different from, like you said, from like getting dropped at 5K to go. If you get dropped at 5K to go, it's because you can't hold the pace. If you get dropped at 300 meters to go, it's because your sprint wasn't as good, basically. You know, they're, they're all going from wherever they were at before, 400, a little bit 400 watts, uh, up to in those final 300 meters, you know, six, seven, eight, eight fifty. You know, it's it's a sprint among climbers, uh, as silly as that can often be. It is a very different effort. It's a totally different, you know, energy system. For example, uh, I don't think you can read too much into this particular. Uh, moment of weakness other than the fact that it did occur and and again I said this in the story I I don't think that the time lost today is as relevant as the fact that he'd lost time at all because it's a confidence issue and I think that the riders around him are now going to be much more confident that they can continue to chip away at well he doesn't have a lead anymore they they can just continue to chip away at him uh, because remember Fabio Aru uh, all these guys need they need time on Froome coming into this last time trial, the 23K time trial at Marseille, or else 
they're going to lose the Tour de France, just like uh, just like Naira did at the Giro. I think Fabio Aru needs time. I think he needs confidence. I also think he needs a couple more teammates because, oh man, poor Astana. Like they came in as one of the strongest teams with both Fabio Aru and Jakob Fuglzang. And now Fuglzang, we saw uh, yesterday's stage crash, fracture his arm. He was in fifth place in the overall. He has now dropped out of that position. Yeah, he's, he came in over, an, I think it was over a half hour back today. I saw him come across the line. You know, his, his arms all, all bandaged up and wrapped up, and he was definitely in a lot of pain. Uh, you know, I think he's going to continue to try to gut it out, maybe maybe just through tomorrow. Maybe if maybe he can help Aru a little bit tomorrow, but I can't see him finishing this race. But something that Aru and Roman Bardet said at the finish line today was that uh, they don't expect to see, be seeing the last of Chris Froome. You know, they look at tomorrow's stage, very short, very hard, and they look at the Alpine stages and think, you know, Team Sky have the strongest team, and they have a guy if, okay, maybe he's not as strong as he's been in years past, or that much stronger than everyone else he's been in years past, he still wants to win, and he's aggressive, so I think a storyline that we're going to see going forward is, ooh, aggressor Froome. Are we going to see Froome switch from being in defense mode, which is what we've seen all these years going past, you know, back to 2013, into Froome being like swashbuckling attacker mode? (laughs) Well, we've seen Froome take time in really weird places. I remember remember last year he took time on a bunch of downhills and things like that. Uh, Yeah, I think we could see him maybe maybe try to make a move here. But the thing is, what Froome does still know is that, you know, a couple seconds to Fabio Aru, that's not a big deal because he will take it back in the time trial. There's absolutely no question that he will beat Fabio Aru by at least, you know, 30 seconds minimum, probably closer to a minute, uh, if not more, in that final time trial. So he has that buffer, and he doesn't need to have the yellow jersey coming into that race, into that time trial, to uh, you know, to be confident that he can have yellow. Paris. All right. Uh, another storyline we got to talk about about this finale is that um, Mikael Landa, uh, Sky teammate of Chris Froome, he was the final domestique to ride with Froome into the base of this wall. And uh, up the slopes of the wall, he went for it. You know, he didn't stay with Chris Froome. He attacked and gapped his team leader. And uh, I think he finished like fourth or fifth. Um, and afterwards, uh, you know, there was a little bit of sentiment that maybe Landa was not sticking around to uh, help his teammate in the way he should have. So it's reminiscent of 2012 when on this very same climb, uh, Chris Room had to do that same thing for Bradley Wiggs. He had, to, he had to, like, wait up for him. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite as bad as that. So, yeah, it was the exact same climb. I actually had... I had some sort of weird deja vu moment uh, wandering around, and there's a, there's a little like traffic circle at the top of the hill where all the buses are. Anyway, that's neither neither here nor there. Uh, it was the exact same climb, the exact same finale. That was the day when Chris Froome, I think, realized that he was stronger than Bradley Wiggins. Uh, the weird thing about that day was it was just the two of them, so it's very obvious. Uh, and Chris Froome, rather than sort of ride in front of Wiggins, was riding about ten yards in front of him. You know, too far in draft, and kept looking back, which is also quite awkward. Uh, the difference today, obviously, is that Landa, well, Landa didn't do that. They, they were not alone. Landa was not looking back for his for his team leader. Essentially, he was just going for it. And the, what what Nicola Portal explained to us afterward, this is the director of, of Team Sky, explained afterward that basically, you know, there are time bonuses on the line these days. So if you're Landa, yeah, your job, if you don't see Chris Rube come around you, your job is just to keep your head down and keep going fast. 
trying to take up some of those bonuses because that way, you know, the guys around you aren't going to take them. Yeah, not quite as nefarious as we saw back in 2012. I do think, I, I, I agree with your take. My take is that Lando was doing his job. He was just trying to, like, get second or third place, maybe get some of those bonus seconds so they don't fall in the hands of the rivals. Plus, I mean, on a wall that's that steep, like, you can kind of only go one speed, which is as hard as you can go. Yeah, you pretty much just go for it. I mean, the other thing to, to remember here is that Landa is, it sounds like, going to be leaving Sky at the end of this season. Uh, there was a report today that he is headed to Movistar. I, I, was, I don't know if we could trust that. That's uh, from Spanish media. Spanish I mean, media. Maybe they're just hoping that he ends up at Movistar. <laughs> There's always a lot of rumors that float around the tour, and, and some of them, honestly, are, are actually just planted by agents because it helps raise the price of their star riders. But uh, regardless, it does, you know, Landa is in a contract year. It's not guaranteed that he'll be a Team Sky next year. That said, I think it's a little bit conspiratorial uh, to think that he was doing anything nefarious to Chris Froome today. I think that he was just playing the teammate and... Yeah, in a finale like that, you just put your head down and go. Boy, moving on to um, topics that are a little bit more nefarious, though. We got to talk about this polemica controversy. Um, I'm calling it Feedgate. Feedgate. So what happened was... Not Feedgate? No, not feet, but feed, like feeding. Feed, Uh eat, eat, eat. Um, The UCI dropped some penalty bombs on Rigoberto Aran of Team Cannondale and George Bennett. And the rule... pals. And search pals. And the rule that they apparently violated was taking an illegal feed inside 10Ks to go to the finish. So the rule states that inside 10K to go, you can't grab a water bottle from, uh, a, you know, someone standing alongside the road, whether it's someone who works for the team, whether it's some schmo, just like, well, handing you a bottle. The like, rule is really unclear, and this is part of the problem. So it's it's 20k to go actually, but they they can adjust it for a given stage. Wow. And today that there was a there was actually a legit feed zone at 12 and a half k. So it went over the race radio that it was going to be I think at 10, um, or it might have been even just after the, the that last feed zone. Regardless. When they're in the, the closing kilometers of this race, yeah, you're, you're not supposed to take a feed. However, the language of the rule makes it really unclear whether, A, whether you have to actually consume the food or drink, and B, like, who you can get it from. And so this is, this is sort of up to interpretation a little bit, and that is essentially the core of our issue, is that we have a couple different riders who all appear to have done essentially the same thing, and yet the results for them have been different from the UCI journey. Yeah, because uh, it's the tape, as is, as is customary at the Tour de France now, tape comes out uh, after the fact and gets just like tweeted and retweeted and put on Instagram and everyone gets totally bent out of shape. Anyway, tape surfaced of Roman Bardet allegedly taking a feed himself in the exact same spot as George Bennett and of course, Roma Bardet went on to win the stage and no penalties there. Um, so we have uh, some rule enforcement that's going a little wonky. But yeah, like you said, there's a lot of different, there's, there's a lot of um, gray area here. Not a lot of clarity. So for instance, I have some questions. What if instead of taking, your, taking a water bottle, you're taking a water balloon? <laughs> uh, to use against an opponent? Nah, yeah, yeah, or to maybe, you know, maybe drink or like, just, you, you know, you have water. You're taking water on board. It's a water balloon, water grenade. Are you French? Yeah, you're totally French. Uh, then you're fine. Eh, no problem. <laughs> um, what if instead of taking like a cliff bar or something like that, you take a cheeseburger? 
<laughs> Does that count as a feat? <laughs> I, I guess technically, yes. Uh, might slow you down more, enough that you, they don't really care anymore. I mean, that may be, that may be the issue there. Uh, anyway, this whole issue has been kind of ridiculous <laughs> because uh, we had um, our compatriot, Jonathan Vodders. I mean, it sounds like he's pretty... He's pretty bummed out about this. I mean, we're getting run over by truck right now. Rigo (laughs) Uran. So his man, Rigo Uran, was docked 20 seconds for the violation. And, you know, in this tight of a GC battle, like 20 seconds actually means something right now. It means a lot. You can talk them through what I'm doing if you want. Yeah, Kaylee's <laughs> Kaylee's paying a toll right now. For the for all the listeners that want the uh, the magic of the Vel News podcast really explained, we're really gonna we're gonna open the hood on this one. We're gonna raise the sheet on the Vel News podcast. Pay, toll is paid. We're paying a toll. We're on a fr- we're on a freeway somewhere. We almost got run over by a truck. <laughs> it's very exciting. Oh, it's the what were we talking about? FDJ team car. Yeah, we're talking about Vodders being bent out of shape. Right. Yeah, Vodder's is super bent out of shape. So, you know, we, we because we're, we're uh, high quality reporters here, um, when all this stuff went down, kind of poking around a little bit, Jonathan Vodder's reached out. Uh, he sent me a text message and then later gave me a phone call and explained uh, their side of things, which, you know, we, we have we've reached out to the UCI, we've reached out to Philippe. Marianne, who is the head of the jury, the same guy. Yeah, Philippe, I mean, I'm sure you're listening out there to the Vel News podcast. I'm sure you're a dedicated listener. Like, give us a call back, man. My cell phone's on. <laughs> call me back. He has not he has not called us back yet. We left him a voicemail. This is the same the same jury that uh, that kicked out Peter Sagan and decided not to kick out Nasser Bahani, just, just so you know. Uh, it's a UCI jury. It's not the ASO. It's not the Tour de France. It's the UCI. Uh, anyway, we, we have not been able to get a hold of Marianne, but what Vodders tells us is essentially uh, that initially they were told that Iran was handed the penalty because uh, a, a like a team staffer gave him the bottle a team staffer didn't give him the bottle it was a I think it was a Cannondale like bike company employee just super fan basically uh, who happened to be in a, in a green Cannondale kit maybe Iran got confused I don't know um Anyway, the the UCI came back and said, "Oh well, no, it wasn't that. It, actually, if you if you get food, feed from anybody, then you can be fined and, and penalized." Uh, so then, Vodders sent the video in about Bardet and said, "Okay, well, you know, we don't want anybody to be penalized, but if you're going to penalize us, then you have to penalize Bardet because look at this, he took the bottle and blah blah blah." The UCI came back and said, "Oh well, we're not sure that he drank out of it," uh, <laughs> which is. You can see pretty clearly that he drank out of it in the video. So once that kind of started to fall apart, then I guess the last and final explanation was, and so once this sort of video came out and it was somewhat clear that Bardet probably did take a drink, uh, and the fact that, that Bennett uh, took a drink from the same, basically the same family, uh, so keep that in mind. It was a family, like like Like, some people, group of people people handed bottles to both Bardet and uh, Bennett. Right. Uh, But so the last explanation was that they went kind of back to the, oh, well, it was a team. It wasn't a team staffer for Bardet, so he doesn't get penalized. But then you go back to Bennett and Bennett got water from the same person and got the 20 second penalty. So basically none of this makes any sense none of this jives none of this is consistent in any way and so we are attempting to reach out to the uci to get some clarification on this because basically we have like i said at the the start of this we have three riders 
who all appear to have done the exact same thing. And only two of them got penalized. And the only one that didn't get penalized is the French guy who won the stage. You said penalized a lot there, buddy. <laughs> um, again, the UCI's explanation, alleged explanation to Jonathan Vodders has, has got me with some questions. Okay, question one. What if you take like an entire like large pizza, but you don't, you don't eat it. You just ride with the pizza. So that would fall into the category of perhaps Bardet taking this water bottle, but not drinking it, you know? So there I am racing along in the front group of the Tour de France with a large pizza, but I don't want to eat it. It's just symbolic taking. What happens to me then? You just stick it in your back pocket? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, according to, again, I, I have, don't really know. I can't figure out what the UCI, I can't figure out what the what the interpretation of this rule is. I've been trying to figure this out for the last two hours. Like what overrides what? So like, let's say a, an actual team staffer hands me a cheeseburger and fries, but I don't eat it. Like, does that override the fact that if it would have been a complete stranger handing me the cheeseburger and fries and I did eat it, it would be okay? We need more clarity here. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure jury. Pro- yeah, I, 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 I'm sorry, Fred. I just have no idea. Listeners to the Vel News podcast, <laughs> never hand a cheeseburger and fries to the Peloton never. as it's going by. Yes. Because you may cause an international incident. You may force two journalists driving across France one night to pull their hair out while trying to figure out the, the, the Byzantine rules of the UCI. I mean, it's written. Like, I've read the rule. I should be able to figure out what the rule says after I've read it. I've read it in English. I read it in French. Because one of the problems here is that they, they get translated back and forth sometimes, and it just gets very confused. So, yeah, the French one says the exact same thing as the English one. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I can't figure it out. Uh, the quote from Vodders, which uh, we thought was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. No, here, the quote. The UCI guy... Philip Marianne is making it up as he goes. It's incredible incompetence. Wow, flaming hot take. Flaming hot take from John of the Bodders. You know, I think he's, I think he's pretty pissed. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's pretty angry. Yeah. Uh, as he, you know, as he should be. He's got Iran. Iran is on the the ride of his life at the at the tour right now. He's in fourth place. You know, he is very very likely going to be uh, able to make that podium. 20 seconds in a race that's this tight, that is a huge, huge deal. Particularly if one of his chief rivals for that podium spot, Bardet, is not penalized for the exact same thing. Once again, I don't know what's up with this UCI jury. We've had, this is this is the third time when we have vehemently disagreed with what, with their decision. First was, was Peter Sagan and the elbow that didn't make contact. The second was Nasser Bahani and the fist that maybe made contact, but it doesn't really matter because his hand came off the bars and he tried to punch a guy. Don't punch people in the Peloton. Don't attempt to punch people in the Peloton. That's also another rule for the uh, listeners of the Bell News Podcast. Good rule. Good yeah. rule. Uh, and then the last one is, is this water feeding thing, which I think is a stupid rule to begin with. I don't really understand why they can't take a bottle from a random fan in the last 10K of a race or 20K of a race. I mean, George Bennett said the same thing. I was, I was, I was chatting with him after the race and He's basically saying, you know, this is a 200-kilometer day, last 10K of the stage, I'm out of water bottles. Like, what do they want me to do here? Like, what, what, what is, what's the purpose of this, what's the purpose of this rule? And I really, I personally don't understand. And if it's going to be sort of this impossible to enforce evenly, then, yeah, just scrap it. Get rid of it. Well, I don't know, Kaylee. Maybe that's going to be it for us. I'm with you there. It seems very strange. And again, 
so many ethical questions involving water balloons and cheeseburgers. Uh, we're going to get back to driving, though. We're on our way to Toulouse. Um, stay tuned to the Mellow News podcast because we're un- un- undoubtedly, undoubtedly going to have more very bizarre stories uh, to untie for all of you. I think before we go, we should remind people of the sweet contest currently going on at powertap.com slash VeloNews. Oh my God, that was such just flawless integration into the <laughs> VeloNews podcast. Tell me more, Kaylee. Yeah, we should just we should we should just remind you because you know we, this is an awesome it's an awesome opportunity. Basically, Sarah's PowerTap, uh, they love the listeners of the VeloNews podcast. They want to they want to give you the chance to win a free pair of their single sided pedals, these power meter pedals. And all you have to do to win them is go to powertap.com slash VeloNews. These are the pedals that you can take off any bike, use on any bike. It'll tell you what your uh, wattage output is, and you can just fly around the country, like fly around the world, like Kaylee over here, and just go ride your bike. (laughs) That's all I do. I just fly around and ride my bike. Uh, This this contest does close on July 26th, so make sure that you get your your entry in now. Okay, that's it for us here at the Wellness Podcast. We're going to get back to driving to Toulouse. And we will see you tomorrow. We won't see you at all, but you can listen to us tomorrow.